Sorry, gentlemen. I tested this 50 times this morning. Everything worked flawlessly, and the camera won't show up. I don't even know if you can hear me. Oh, good grief. Am I back? Can you guys hear me? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Give me sevens if you've got uh, audio. Looks like we've got audio. Give me sevens if you've got video. That's what my main concern is. I was trying to go all high production this morning, and, well, this is what happened. I tested, I literally tested this thing. I don't, I don't even know if I'm broadcasting. I'm not, I guess I'm not broadcasting. I'm not seeing sevens. I have to assume we're not broadcasting. Getting a few sevens. All right. Sorry about that, gentlemen. Good grief. I spent, I probably spent four hours this morning trying to get some high production for you all. I've got sound drops for donations. I had a super custom intro. I tested it so many times, over and over and over again, and the moment we went live, everything dropped. We're starting off with a struggle stream. Good grief. Good grief. All right, one quick update before we get started. I have some good news. Now, you're going to want to move on this very quickly when it comes up. Regarding the ProHo Radio Kit, if you're just joining us, our friend Evan and fellow professional homeowner is in the works of putting together the kit. We're going to do a three radio kit. He's going to program it to your zip code so it'll have all the things that you need in it. Turnkey, 100%. We're going to do USB charging. We're going to upgrade the antenna. We're going to upgrade the batteries. We're going to have a quick start guide so even simpletons like myself can actually function or can do the thing. And we're going to have the first ever Wrangler Star morale patch and all USA made pouches as well as a belt pouch. It's going to be a really nice package. One little cool thing that we came up with yesterday, we're also going to have one common frequency across all radios. So whether you're an East Coast man or you live on the West Coast, if you get the ProHo radio package, you're going to have that common frequency if ever we, if any of us should meet we'll be able to talk to each other. So that's gonna be very cool. How long is this gonna take? Well, I'm gonna under promise, over deliver, but I'm probably about three weeks or so, I should have my first, the first kit, and we're gonna do a duo stream with Evan here live. And he's gonna walk us through it, it'll be an hour stream, how everything works. Now, we're, we're all very, we're small companies here. We're trying to do everything in-house uh, between here and Evan. And we're going to limit it. It's going to be very limited. We're going to probably do a, a run of 100 kits. So there'll be 103 radio kits similar to the one that I put together, but a whole lot better. So I'm looking forward to that. That's really going to be kind of our first cool project. Evan's working on that. We're working on the art here. Uh, we'll get the morale patch, etc. It's going to be amazing. Going to be amazing. All right. Gentlemen, shall we? Start with first things first. 
yesterday. Our lantern went out. We've been having a lot of struggles with this. We've had several volunteers from the chat that have offered to fix my lantern. But we're just going to go. We just go here. I don't know if we're going to need fuel today. I better double check here. Good grief. Do we have oh man. Okay, well, we didn't spill there. So far, so good. Okay, let's let sleeping dogs lay. I'm not going to mess with that. That's already about half full. Let's see if we can keep it going this time. All right, well last, you guys told me 30 pumps last time and that was a complete fail. Not only did, was it did we have a big flame up, but we also, it went out. Now is that because we gave it 30 pumps? Okay, we're gonna try a different sequence. This was recommended by another Proho. We're gonna give it 20 pumps. We're gonna wet, wet the wick, now listen. We're listening for the hissing. Okay, I heard the gas come out, turn it off. And then he told me 20 more. Oh, good. I hadn't even turned it on yet. You just never know what it's going to do. It's, it's never the same twice. I don't know that we've had a successful light in a week or so. All right, well, that's burning off. So today is Wednesday, and Wednesday means there's many of us that are very hungry right now. Wednesday is this, this is the second week of our 24-hour fast. I woke up this morning. Very hungry. <laughs> so I want you to know that we're all suffering together. Uh, if you're just joining us, the group collectively is we're doing uh, four weeks of fasting. Every Wednesday, 24 hours. Okay, we, do we have it? Here we go, gentlemen. Okay, I think, I think we got it. There, listen to it, go. Excellent. That's what we needed. <laughs> All right. Got that out of the way. Well, we couldn't really have it any other way. All right. So what is, what's going on? Wednesday morning, Mrs. W and I got up this morning. And it's, poor, it's snowing again. 32 degrees. 32 degrees and snowing. I don't know how much more of this I can take. I was expecting that we would be out in the garden. I was expecting that we'd be, we'd be out fence building. We've got permits that are all dropping right now. We've got uh, a whole bunch of site work to do. 
as soon as the ground dries up, I just need 48 hours or it won't rain or be melting snow. We'll be getting over there. We're going to have to do, we're going to be building fences. We've got quite a bit of excavating to do. We've got to run in the power. We're going to be running in the water lines. Uh, we're going to be finishing up the driveway and getting everything set for that new project. Mrs. W and I have really been, I uh, spent a lot of time in, so what we're doing, let's back it up a little bit. So what's going on here and what we're doing is, is that the house that we're in is too big. Uh, we, we don't like to have a big house like that. It's too much to take care of, too much to maintain. You practically have, a, have to have a staff. Just, just, I mean, it's just ridiculous. So we're building ourselves a small, modest house. One thing I'm very much looking forward to, I've been talking or banging on a long time about simplifying our lives. I, I've come to the conclusion, I think many of you have come to the conclusion, that life is just getting too complicated, that we were never designed to try to manage so many things. Just perfect, like, like this morning. Uh, this, there's some, the software that I live stream on, it, you know, I don't really understand how to use it. I have a very basic understanding of it. And the reason I haven't like really dug into it, spent time on it, uh, it's, it's just one more thing. It's one more thing to have to go. And you know, it takes for me, it takes a whole day to do that sort of thing. I'm watching YouTube tutorials. I'm, I'm, and of course, whatever software version I have is never the same one that is on, on the, the tutorial. You know, there's, I, I'm always like missing a button uh, that they have and they're like, and I go through the whole thing and then you just seal it all up by pushing this and I don't have that button. It was all for naught. So just another thing, but I, I wonder sometimes if, if the reason why we get so anxious and stressed out in life is that we're just trying to do too many things trying to manage too many things, too much going on. Overton and I were talking the other day about if we were just, just to take one facet of our life, that we, of the many things that we have to deal with, uh, for example, um, software, lighting, you know, just that one thing, if you were to take it, that's a lifetime study just to, just, just to master something like that. And then when you start adding on other things and motorcycle maintenance and... Uh, now you're doing gardening and now you got to do construction. So, I mean, there's so many things that a person has to know and to do that, man, it just, it, it just becomes overwhelming. What I'm really looking forward to now, I don't know that I want to go back to living in a grass hut and, and becoming a fisherman <laughs> you know, or that sort of thing. But what I, what, one thing that we're going to be very deliberate about is nothing's going to cross, cross the threshold of the new home that isn't um, something that's, that's, that we use uh, on a regular basis. We're not having knickknacks. We're not having just boxes of stuff and goodies. And we're not, and, and it, you know, for me, I, I think as I've been trying to work through the shop and, and simplify life and, and set up a nice shop that's easy to work in, I, I realized that the thing that really messes me up, or the reason why I can never ever accomplish having a clean, organized shop is because of the things that I might need someday. <laughs> you know, have you done that before? You, you know, you'll, you'll get like a new part for your car uh, and it comes with bolts and fasteners and, and here's how it goes. And so you put the new ones on there and then you have these perfectly good things left over and you think, well, you know, that might come in handy someday. That might come in handy someday, but will it? It will it. And then the moment you throw it away, what's going to happen? A week later, 
you'll have a particular situation where you'll, you'll, you'll need that one thing, that one thing that you've been dragging around in your shop for 50 years, and you decided at the last moment, you know what, I'm done with that. I'm tired of moving it around, I'm tired of dealing with it, and you throw it away, and of course, what do you need? <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't think God made us to have to manage so many things. You know, how can you, con even like, how can you concentrate on your faith? How can you concentrate on, on, on anything, on your relationships, on friendships, when you have to manage so much gear, so much equipment? It is, it, it, it's like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Just when you figure things out, that's when you die. Isn't that the way that it goes? All right, let's jump into our member chats and our super chats here. We're, we got a struggle stream going. I can feel it's not going, it's not starting off very good here. So we'll just default to, uh, to you guys. We can hear the stream through your mic. Is that right? We can hear the stream. So I've got an external mic. Is it that, is it terrible? I don't know if this was old or is it new. How is the audio? We're going to have to do this one more time. I'm sorry, gentlemen. I, I, I really was trying to get something really nice for you guys. Nice intro, and I have messed it all up. I don't know what's going on. So I don't know if that was earlier or if it's now. Give me sevens if we have clean audio and clean, and clean video. I'm going to have to wait a minute or two. Oh, the struggle is real. But the show must go on. Let us proceed. We have a super chat from our friend Kyle B. Shout out to you, Kyle. Kyle has been a member with us for a year, loud and clear. Okay, that was the last one I got, so I'm just going to go ahead and assume that we are good. So now I have some very cool audio drops. Now, if you watch live streams, you know, they have those sound boards and such. And so Overton gave me a, an idea. He says, why don't you come up with some, real, why don't you come up with a couple of sound drops for donations and we'll play those. So I started collecting those and I have three. So when you guys trigger those, I'll let you know. We have a member message from Ty Guy. Ty's been with us here for three months. Shout out to you, Ty. He says, would it be possible to get the Proho radio pack with two radios rather than three? I just ordered one Baofeng, already have two more BCAs access rates. No, it's not. It's going to be one and done. It's how we did it. We talked about this quite a bit uh, with the middlemen. I considered this. Should we do two radios or should we do three radios? I have a three radio pack. I have not... Most of the time, I do only use two. There's not very, been very many times where I've used three, but when you need them, you need them. Here's the thing. This is going to be a very... You know, we're, we're all doing this uh, here personally. You know, We don't have a company and, and employees to do all these things, and, and it's already getting complicated enough. And we're also... You know, I, when I talked with Evan yesterday about this, he's a super good dude, really checked out, really good with radios. And what I want to do with him uh, when we spoke is I, we didn't want him to get in over his head. Because when you guys order these, the three radio pack, he's going to have to take your zip code and he's going to have to you know, put in all of your local frequencies. It's gonna be, there's going to be really no two radios alike because you'll be buying them from all over the country. If we get into like mixing and matching and changing the package, it's just it's going to be too much. You know, Evan's just a single guy. It's him and his family putting these things together. Um, it's kind of a cottage industry deal, and I'm, we're not going to have options like that. We're just going to do the three radio kit. And you know, if you 
you know what's better than having three radios? Is having four radios. So, you know, give it away to a buddy, sell it to a buddy if you don't want three, but having four would be a pretty good deal. Shout out to you, Ty. Good question, though. Yeah, I wish we could accommodate you. And, you know, one other thing that I talked about, this is definitely pie in the sky, but something that if we were going to take this to the next level. Now, once the initial 100 radio kits are gone, we'll reassess. If there's a lot of demand, if you guys like them, if it didn't run Evan too ragged putting this kit together for, for everyone, then we will consider doing a second run if you missed out on that first one. Uh, but one thing I ask Evan is, would it be possible <clears throat> for us to do, a, in addition to this, a repeater? Now, what's a repeater? A repeater, like we, what we used on wildland fires, is a, um, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I've only seen a repeater in a box. But it'd be a self-contained unit. Let's say, for example, we put it inside like a waterproof case. You know, something like this, maybe it's bigger, maybe it's smaller, but something certainly man-portable. It's basically an extender for your radios. Now, your radios are going to have limited uh, range, according to, you know, depending on many things. Your power setting, depending on topography, whether your line of sight, whether you're in the bottom of a canyon, all these sorts of things. But let's say, for example, that you have, like, the problem that we run into is you may have a guy down in a canyon, and you may have up over the other side, you have another guy over here. Now, it's not likely that those signals are going to be able to connect. The radios are just not powerful enough to, to do that. So the workaround for that, how I understand it, is a repeater. And a repeater is basically would be put up on the top of the hill. It would be something that we would design that could be kind of set it and forget it sort of thing with a completely self-sufficient with its own battery and its own portable uh, solar solar cell. So I would like to have the whole thing where you could grab it and go and if you needed that type of, if you had an area where you needed a repeater where you could uh, pick up and really extend your range, uh, that's something that we're going to look at. So we don't have anything draw or anything on the drawing board for that other than just I brought it up to Evan. I said, would this be possible? He seemed to think that it would. So that's something else that we're going to be looking at. We talked a lot about you know, different radios and, and such, and, and we could go with some higher end ones and some nicer ones. But to be honest with you, I think I just want to keep it with what we know, and everyone agreed. These are affordable. Um, they've got a good proven track record. Here's the thing. It's got to be easy. It's got to be easy. And, and that's, the, that, that's why I have not seen anything like this before. This is not going to be... This is a labor of love for all of us, just to help each other out. No one's making a bunch of money off this. This is going to be given to you. You know, Evan's got to make some money. He's got to pay uh, the. We got to pay for his wages. His family are probably helping, um, but I, you know, we're not looking at making a bunch of profit here. We're looking at making something that's going to be available. You don't have to go and get a ham radio license. You're not going to have to learn a bunch of stuff. You just, it's going to be turnkey. Turn it on. A quick start guide. It'll be all laminated. Super nice. I'm, I'm excited. So. Let's say I'm hoping three weeks, maybe four, three, four weeks, I should have something in hand and we will do a stream and it's going to be amazing. So you're going to want to move on that. I will give you plenty of heads up notice when that drops, but there's only going to be 100. So fair warning. We have a super chat from Great Lakes Man. He's been with us for five, excuse me, for two months. Shout out to you, Great Lakes Man. Welcome. He says, rate my Tradcon wife. Okay. 
I'm ready. So we're going to rate TradCon. So this is a custom that we started earlier in the week, or was it last week, where you give me a little bit of information and I rate your TradCon or rate your trad, TradCon or your ProHo on a scale of 1 to 10. Strong Faith, Midwest Farm Raised, I'm going to give you six for that. Homeschooled, well, that's another one. Fiercely Paired to Me, Ride or Die would be another way to put that. Ride or Die, she cooks. She sews, she submits, modest, and so beautiful. Well, there you have it. It's quite simple. That is a 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. You know, I wasn't going to do this except for special occasions, but here we go. Must be nice. Yep, there you go. How's that? Our first sound drop. Must be nice to have a TradCon wife. Did that come through? <laughs> I, I pushed the button. I couldn't hear anything. I don't know. Give me sevens if you heard uh, our friend Owen Benjamin, and it must be nice uh, to have a TradCon wife. Uh, Great Lakes, man. Shout out to you. Thank you. Man, you were killing it. Yep, I have the same thing. Submits is the key. Submit is a very uh, derogatory term to our feminist friends. When they hear that, their heads explode. They do not like that. That, that, that one particular word is what uh, really triggers them more than anything. It, you know, for a people of the book, for Proho, that, that is not a negative connotation. That is not, not a negative word. Submit, we all have to submit. We have to submit to our bosses. We have to submit to the traffic rules of the road. We have to submit to the law. I mean, we all have to submit. We're not, we're not all here kings in our own castles. There's gotta be a leadership, there's gotta be leadership in every program. You can't have two generals. You can't have two CEOs. So submitting is just, you know, and here's how it really works. Mrs. W and I are, are equals in this part, partnership, not whatsoever, and we're respectful towards one another. When we make big decisions, we make them together. But if it ever comes to a point where we, we come to loggerheads, where we just cannot agree on something, then there's got to be someone ultimately that is the decider. And that is God has, has ordained man to be that, to be priest and head of his household. And submitting, a woman that submits is one that is operating under that premise. You know, not that she doesn't have any say in things and her opinion won't be considered. If, I mean, if the truth was, most of us know that are married to Tradcon, that are submissive, loving, fabulous women, most of us all know that if there was something that she really wanted, that was really important to her, we would move heaven and earth to make that happen. Of course we would. So they're just, they just get triggered because they don't understand. We have a super chat, $20 super chat from Roman Carlisle. That deserves, oh man, it's slow. Must be nice. How about that? Must be nice, it is. <laughs> I even have a different one for you at 50. Roman writes, hey, Mr. W, I have a work question. Uh, Roman's 17, he's trained as a machinist, but I found I don't like working inside. I've got two job offers on the table. One is landscaping, one is logging lumber. Which would you recommend? A trained machinist at 17? Goodness, you must have got an early start on that. Man, I, I would rather I would rather be a machine. No, I understand that. One of my first I, I can I know exactly what the job is like. One of my first jobs out of high school, I worked for Warren Industries, and they had two sides. They built winches and they built hubs. The two sides of the company. One side was assembly, 
where everything was assembled, boxed up, shipped out to distributors, customers. The other side was the manufacturing, where they actually built everything. They built their gears, everything from scratch when I was there. And I was very excited uh, to get out of the assembly. I didn't like that. I wanted to get over to the machine shop because I kind of wanted to learn how to be a machinist as well. And I didn't have any training and they didn't have any entry level for that. But the, on the only thing that they opened up was a forklift driver. So I, got, I applied for it and got the job as a forklift driver. And my job <laughs> was to run around and to service all of the mini machinists on all of their different machines, whether it be, uh, this was before CNC's and stuff. So they had like brooch machines and big lathes and all sorts of things that I didn't know what they were. These things produced chips and these chips would fall in big bends. And my job was to run around there and make sure that I always took the chips away uh, and brought them in empty containers so that they could keep wor working. Those guys, those machinists worked there for a long time. And, and I went back some 25, no, 30, 25, I think 25 years later, after this was just a couple years ago, I had a winch that needed repaired and they do, still do repairs if you're local. And I took it in there and I walked through that place and I still, I saw some of the same dudes that had been there for 25, almost 30 years. <laughs> standing in the same, basically standing in the same place, running the same machine, un believable. So I can get that. I, I can't even imagine going to the same job working for a factory for that long. So I get that. Um, as cool and interesting as the work is, being stuck inside is really bad. One thing that I've never heard discussed about machinists as well, and if you're a machinist, why don't you wade in on this? But I noticed that when I was working there, there was kind of a, a lot of guys, a lot of talk that machinists never lived very long after they retired from this particular place. Guys would talk about it all the time. Oh, so-and-so retired and in 12 months he was dead or in 18 months he was dead. And what the belief was within the group there was that breathing all of the coolant for year after year after year that comes off of, you know those machines, like when they, they have all those little rubber hoses and when they set them up, you know, they're blasting all of that coolant fluid. Well, I remember seeing those guys working around that and that stuff splashing in all of their parts. And there was just a mist all around the operator and the operator station. And he sat there all day for eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, breathing all that stuff. And I've always wondered if that is ne not necessarily a very healthy occupation. <laughs> we kind of just assume, foolishly, that there are government regulatory commissions that OSHA, whatever, that's aware of all these things and they wouldn't put us in, a, in an environment that wasn't healthy and so we don't really know what that stuff is or what the long-term consequences are. But you know what, beloved, I, when I was, if I was a young man, if I was picking a trade, I would be conscious of that. You know, what are the effects on, the, on a young man or a lifetime of welding if you're welding inside pipes, if you're breathing all that stuff? You know, that cannot be good for you, all of the metals cannot be good for you to be stuck eight hours a day in an area as a machinist where you have all of those vapors and fumes. So I think you're right in getting out of that environment. But when it, came to the, when it comes to those two choices of landscaping or logging lumber, which would you recommend? Well, it wouldn't be landscaping. It would not be landscaping. I would probably take the logging lumber. Just know that that's not gonna be a, not gonna be a, a lot of a high paying job you're not gonna be exposed around the highest quality of people. 
Um, you're going to drive a lot the times that you won't get paid for. It is that and commercial fishing are among the most dangerous jobs that a man can do in this country. Or la last time I checked. And it's going to really tear up your body. If you look at the guys that have been in it for a long time, they're pretty well beat up. So, I don't know. I'd probably take the logging. Probably take the logging. I, you know, I just, I, I, I'm just not too excited about either one of those choices, uh, to be honest with you, because I, I know so many dudes that, that do them and have grown up around them, especially landscaping, and I've never met anyone that was very happy as a landscaper unless they were owned the company and they were getting into design. Now, if you want to ultimately go there, if you want to learn the trade, learn how to do everything, and then with the idea of starting your own business and getting into maybe some design work and doing some cool things and working with stone and, and rock, you know, something where you, can, something where you can do something that you're proud of, that's a whole nother deal. But when it comes to the timber industry, I mean, if, you've got, if you're already a machinist at 17, you'd have to be a pretty sharp kid. And I do not think that you are going to be stimulated uh, in the logging industry. Um, there's just, I don't know. Look into it. Go shadow a guy. Go talk to a business. You know, go, go hang out around there. See if that's something you want to do. But neither one of those. I think you could do better. I think you could do better. We have a super chat from Shoreline887. Shout out to you, Shoreline. Welcome. He says, I told someone you either have money or time. You never have both at the same time. Yeah, that's what it comes down to. I... Man, I've been struggling with that of late. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll just tell you a little, my personal example. I have a friend, a good friend of mine, who's got kids about the same age as Jack. Um, he's got three kids. And he was a general contractor. Uh, we, we were pretty good friends. We used to moto together. Um, he'd come over and help me on a few projects, and I'd help him on projects. And just a really good dude. Our families were, were close and got along and, and had a lot in common. Just a, one of the best carpenters, probably the finest carpenter I've ever, ever known, just as a can-do can -do guy. And it was three, or three years ago. Three years ago, uh, he came to me and said, so we're going to sell our house. You know, they don't live too far from here. We're going to sell our house, and we're going to build an off-road rig. They bought a big military truck, and we're going to travel all around the country. Uh, he even built the box and, and basically built two slide-outs on it. Some of you from the earlier days saw, you know, I featured this from my friend. And they traveled all around the country for a couple years. And we followed along on their blog and their YouTube postings. And I was somewhat envious, you know, because he made the decision. He made the decision that, he, that time and time spent with his kids was more important than anything else. And they sold their house. And they went on the road, they put everything, basically sold it, gave it away, and um, he had a little piece of land with a shed on it and just parked a few other things and off they went. And watching them, you know, they don't have a lot of money, but they're together all the time and they're at a new place every week and they're exploring and they're doing all these things. And if that wasn't cool enough, once they really kind of toured the U.S. and saw everything they wanted to see, they sold BART and they went over to um, Southeast Asia. And they're over there working. And they'll work a few days. The whole family, they'll work in the fields. They'll, he'll work as a carpenter. They'll make a little bit of money, and then they move on. And they move on. And I just thought, you know, he made the decision. That family made the decision that it was more important 
for them to for him just to be home working 60 80 hours a week making money as a general contractor running the rat race he threw he gave it all up and and made the decision that family and the time that he has the short time he has with his kids would best be spent them together having an incredible adventure <laughs> i mean i you know when i when he first made this decision and i saw him building everything and I was watching all this. I was thinking, oh man, you know, at his age, does he really want to do this? You know, I get, I'm so comfortable in my, so comfortable in my house, and this is the place I always wanted to be, and everything's set up and and living the life that I wanted. But I'm on a treadmill, just like you are. I got to continue to get up to to this. It's not cheap to live here. Everything in Pacific Northwest is expensive, and and to to maintain these hobbies and all this, it it, it is. It's, it's an exchange for, of time for money, because that's really all we have. There's a few people that may be able to have both, but they're not typically happy. So, yeah, it's true. It's absolutely true. I, I am, um, I'm a somewhat a little bit envious of him, and, and I've, I've thought, is that something that I want to do? Would it be possible to put your house up for rent for a year and, and travel? Go over and maybe live in a different country. Take your kids over there and have that experience. I don't know. I don't know. But I am envious. We have a super chat from AC. Shout out to AC. AC writes, intro recommendation. Hello, hello, hello. And welcome to the Wrangler stream. Check the title stream number 053 or something like that. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Was that something, just an intro? I had a really cool intro. I had the, the music running on, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to have to go back to the drawing board. This weekend, I'm going to set some time aside. I'm going to learn the software. But I will have that for you. I'll get it. Mr. Jamie, shout out to you. I need a stream deck because I can't see the little buttons there. Must be nice. Must be nice. Jamie, good to see you here. He says, my thoughts are with the man in your opening story yesterday and Dr. Prepper and anyone else that has been through it. My ex-wife left me for another woman. I would never have guessed we had everything. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. <clears throat> that statistic I was sharing with you guys yesterday, I shared that with Mrs. W, and she did, didn't believe it. I said 80% of divorces are now being filed by women. Why is that? Why is that? You know, when, when, I, when I was growing up, and you, you would hear about a single mother, um, and it was almost always you would hear the story of, oh, deadbeat dad ran off ran off and left them destitute, and uh, here, here they are. It was always kind of the default. When you, saw, when you saw that, you just kind of assumed that would happen, and the blame seemed to always go on the man. <laughs> now that when we look at the numbers, we start to see, well, why, you know, that's, maybe that wasn't the case. You know, maybe the woman, the reason why the woman is a single mother, maybe she had something to do with it. You know, there's always this nobility attached to single mothers. And the church was always giving, and people, you know, men would always step up. Oh, she's a single mother, so I guess I'll go over there and, and help her out. Or, <laughs> you know, how it always was. That was kind of the understanding. But now we see women are the ones that are, are blowing these things up. Be careful. Remember the rules. Do not cohabitate. Do not marry anyone over 35. And do not date single mothers. Someone said this morning, I was listening, he said, you know what's interesting about families? I've never heard anyone mention before, but 
husband and wife are not blood relatives. <laughs> and blood is thicker than water, right? When you have children, you know, when you, from your own loins, you know, your very own children, it, there's a special bond there. It's unique. That, those people are family. It's, it's, I don't, it's hard to explain. You know, we all know it. Uh, but um, he said, you know, wh- your, your wife is not your family. <laughs> that certainly is true. All right, we have a super chat from our friend uh, Gypsy Jeeper. Shout out to you, Gypsy Goodness. Gyp- Gypsy is going to get the $50 dro- sound drop. Here we go. Must be nice to have a house. Yeah, must be nice to have a house. <laughs> I wish I could hear the drops. I can't hear them, so I just have to assume that they play. Gypsy Jeeper writes, I know you recommendation for work boots. What about boots to just slip on and go? Something that can sit outside of the door uh, that you can hop in and slip off up to three-minute cold shower, fasting, and prayers today. Shout out to you. Good goodness, brother. So, well, you know, what I like, I'm not going to recommend these. You'll get ridiculed. Your friends will make fun of you. Uh, you, you don't even want to, you just don't want to go down that road. Uh, but I, but this, is, this, is my, this is my go-to shoe. This is the Dansko. They're, made, they're Danish, and they're um, slip-on clogs. This is the original tactical clog, as we've called it. I'll tell you the story of these. When I first saw these things, I thought that they were hideous. Mrs. W was wearing them around, and we had just started dating. And I looked at those things, you know, being a fashionista myself, I looked at those things, and I really thought for a moment, I don't know if I can spend the rest of my life with a woman that wears a shoe that ugly. Developed for people that are on their feet all the time. Developed for, you'll see these used a lot in emergency rooms. Doctors and nurses, people that are on their feet on concrete a lot. You'll also see really smart uh, waiters and waitresses wear these as well. I love these shoes. They're terrible uh, for anything off of a shop floor because if you don't have cat-like reflexes, like... Proho has cat-like reflexes, so you're unlikely to turn your ankle, but it takes about a decade or so to, to learn to walk with these. You, if you're on uneven ground with like gravel or, or anything like that, you have to kind of have a, you have to have like, be out like a spider, be ready to, to, to get the weight off your ankle when it rolls because they're so tall. But the point being is that the slip-on clog is, is the way to go if you're in and out of your house. There is nothing, nothing worse then lacing up a 10-inch logging boot to go out, walk through a little bit of mud so you make sure you fill up the waffles with a bunch of mud in there, and then realize that you left something up in the, ma- in the master bedroom. So it's not even like you can kind of tiptoe into the front door and across the hardwood and grab it without making a huge mess. You have to walk across carpet. Right? And then you got to sit down and take those things off. I, I, I just can't, I can't handle it. can't do it. So I would recommend a slip-on. I think that the way to go would be one of two. Uh, what Mrs. W uses is uh, like a Romeo style shoe. Get yourself a Romeo. That's what all of the local loggers here wear. So the loggers have the big boots, 10 and 12 inch boots, and they always carry their Romeos, which is basically more of an American version of this that looks a little bit better. It's not so tall and something you can get a little bit of traction on and very, you can slip them on. That's, that's the key. And so what these guys do is they'll they wear those Romeos when they're going in and out of the store because the store doesn't like it and the local businesses don't like it when they walk in there with their cork boots. So that's really the solution. 
I've been thinking about, I like these. These, these are pretty good, but again, you know, they're not ideal for off-road. I've been thinking about getting something similar to what you're talking about, and I think I'm going to get the, just the, you know, the Boggs boots we all wear, the big neoprene versions. You know, those are too much in the summertime. I don't need all of that. It's really nice for the snow, but they make a small version that's just a slip-on that Mrs. W has, and that's probably what I'd recommend. That's the best. Anything that doesn't lace. Now, if you want to be Proho, you can get the, the tactical clog. Just make sure you get the, uh, the classic black, uh, the professional model. That'll do you good. But they're, they're incredibly comfortable shoes, and they slip on. Even those Romeos, I think you have to bend down and pull them on. You know, you've got to grab the tab because they fit kind of tight around the ankle. But these, dude, you can just jump in them. Jump in them and go. I'm a fan. I, I've been in them for... Once I got my first pair, I've been in them for almost 20 years, and I, that's basically almost all I wear, unless I'm out working. We have a super chat from Rick Gates. Shout out to you, Rick. I'm ordering a stream deck. I gotta speed up Must the sound be nice. Must be nice. Shout out to you. Rick has been with us, with us for three years. Thank you, brother. Thank you for your generosity. We have a super chat from J-Dubs Adventure. Welcome, J-Dubs. He writes, Midland has a 12V GMRS repeater that, that I use with solar panels. Retvis has a GMRS and ham repeater with 12 volt, is 12 volt compatible. See, I don't even know what any of that is. I know what Midland is because I have Midland radios. I cannot recommend Midland products uh, because I've had terrible experience with them. I, my first radios I bought when we uh, first went to, or when we were first going into lockdowns, I bought a, I think I bought a whole bunch of them, six or 12 radios, Midlands in a big bank charger. They were kind of marketed to small businesses. They weren't like full military grade, but they were maybe commercial grade. And I bought those things and I thought, well, that would be the solution because I wanted to have radios that we could use around the place and in an emergency and it was, they were already pre-programmed and they were all on the same page and I thought this would be great. Those have not been good radios. They've not been reliable. They were actually have been so unreliable. The batteries have went bad on them uh, when, from when they were brand new. Uh, they would just stop working or many of them quit working and we never were really able to use them. And, I, it's one of those things that I keep hanging around here, and I think the next time I see it, I'm just going to take them and just throw everything in the trash. Because um, I, I, I'm, I'm just so done keeping that stuff. I, I'm, I have all this stuff sitting around here like, oh, one day I'm going to get to this. One day I'll get in there and take those radios apart, and I'll go find a new battery, and then I'll solder the... Is that ever going to happen? It's not going to happen. Chalk it up. Sometimes when we purchase these things and they just don't work it out, work out. Chalk it up to my bad. Um, I should have done more research and uh, and just be done with it and stop worrying about it. For three years, I've worried about those radios, among other things, of things sitting around here to fix. So I don't know, man. That's a that's a sample of well, not really a sample of one because most of the radios all went bad. I just have not had good luck with their products. So I, I, I don't know that I would be too interested in, in their stuff. But yeah, but the, but the principle that J-Dubs is talking about is absolutely there. We just, we'll, we'll have, uh, if we put that together, we'll have our own power supply. And if we can find some sort of a portable solar generator, 
or not generator, but solar panel that can plug into that and it can charge or keep itself maintained, that's really gonna be the key. All this stuff that we put together, you know, if we expand beyond the radios, what we wanna do is we wanna make things turnkey and simplify, simplify things. So I'm always gonna be keeping my eye open and ear to the ground of problems that we face on a daily basis that are complex that if we could put together in some way where why should I, you know, here's the deal with this stuff. See, Evan's already spent hundreds of hours going through the menus and learning all these things. You know, so reinventing the wheel when we're dealing with so much technology and so much complexity is just not productive. For, for us to have, for, for now, let's say that you buy one, now you have to go and learn after Evan did, and then I buy one and I have to go and learn, right? If we can kind of, uh, I guess, um, capitalize on the knowledge base and the experience that we have here in the group and, and where Evan can, can distill this down and simplify things for us so that we can just benefit from, from his expertise and the time that he's spent in and he will be compensated for it as well then we don't have to learn it we can have something that's been well thought out and we can use it and it'll suit our needs and we don't have to waste a lot of time trying to learn something that we're not interested in but thank you j-dubs we have a members message from k bowers 8111 shout out to you k bowers k bowers writes he's also been with us for five months let's not forget that K. Bowers writes, still early in my preps, does, what, does one ever feel like they have enough? No, that's the, uh, it, it, they don't. They don't. There's no, there's no end to it. It's the, um, it's the hamster wheel. I, I, I struggled with that. I, I, I worried about that a great deal, especially when we were going into COVID. All I could think of was all of the things that I lacked and, and just really got consumed with it. What I finally understood is that I'm only one person. I'm only one man and I can only do so much. And you're the same way. So you got to sit down and you really got to, you got to make decisions logically about where, where you're going to spend your resources, where you're going to spend your time and your money. And if you are just trying to track all this in your head, I think a lot of the decisions we end up making are emotional. If we don't really know where we're at and kind of have a, at least written it down and kind of made a plan, then what you'll find is you'll spend money foolishly. You'll get caught up emotionally. You'll watch uh, one of my videos and you'll see something that we're talking about. You'll watch another guy's video. You'll go to a manufacturer's site and that, that will bring that to top of mind and you'll, and you'll purchase that, maybe out of order, maybe buying something that is not as important as something else you could have purchased. Really go back down to the fundamentals and cover that. Sit down and look at your situation. I don't care if you're renting or if you're in a house, whatever that may be, look at your situation and then identify your vulnerabilities, okay? We're gonna look at the three things, right? Do you have shelter? Do you have shelter? Do you have a place to live? Obviously, you probably already had that dealt with. Is it secure? How, how, what happens if you get laid off? What happens if you get hurt? Is your shelter going to, how long can you maintain that shelter? Are you renting? Are you paycheck to paycheck? So if you find yourself in that situation, shelter being the number one most important thing, I think for all of us, because one of the worst things I could imagine would be out on the streets, 
or living in your car would be pretty rough as well. So let's look at that shelter first. How do you maintain a shelter if you can't work or get hurt or don't have income coming in? Well, that's where the emergency fund comes in. I really think, beloved, where you, where you should start on this, even if you have outstanding debts, is, is that emergency fund. If you could just get one month of emergency fund and start with that, if you had one month of emergency fund, would that not give you some peace of mind? It'd be nice to have, almost have your rent kind of paid a month in advance as well. And if you can work towards that and extend that up to three months and then six months, then you know, that gives a guy a, a lot of options. Most of us can probably get healed up back on our feet within six months of, of you know, some, some things are going to happen that are worse than that, or can find a new job within six months. But how much different would your experience be if you were a guy that was living paycheck to paycheck and then you focused on this, you put your resources into getting that emergency fund built up where you lost that job, you know, you don't, it's not the end of the world. It's, it's not an emergency. It's, it's a problem, but it's a problem that you can simply deal with. So I would, I would lock that down. And same thing with your renting. You know, it just make sure when you're figuring your emergency fund, this is not extravagant. We're not talking about funding any eating out. We're not talking about activities, uh, buying anything besides just what we need. We're talking bare bones. So make that, figure out what that number is. What are your expenses for the month? Figure your car note, your house note, if you have credit cards, student loan. How much could you get by on your food? Could you eat out of your pantry? That sort of thing. Could you get by just eating beans and rice, rice and beans? You know, you could. You can drink water and you can live for three months on beans and rice, rice and beans. Right? So when we're talking emergency fund, it's bare bones. Just covering, keeping the wolf at bay and keeping your family under a roof. Once you get that established, when we're talking about preparations, you know, I, I would food. You know, do you have, do you have three months of food supply? You know, can you do that? Well, what, what do you get? Well, the best value is if you can go uh, to use, utilize the Mormon canneries. Use the Mormon websites. They have a really good comprehensive list where you can go on their site and you can see how many calories are required for a family, and they have sample ideas of what you should have. You should have so many pounds of rice, so many pounds of beans, so many pounds of salt, and you can put together this kit for your family, and you can do this. If you want to do it simply, you can just go and you can buy it already pre-done. You can go to uh, my Patriot Supply. You can buy freeze-dried food. You know, you can do it that way as well. But the best value, if you're if you're on a budget, is utilize the Mormon canneries as much as possible and those resources, and get that three months uh, worth of food. Then you've got what? What have you got? You've got your shelter sorted out. You've got an emergency fund, so you're not going anywhere. You're not going to have a problem. Number two, you got three months of food supply in your larder. It's not going to be the best food. You're not eating steak, but you will survive. And you've got water, right? And then the water is the next thing. Probably a good wa gravity water filter. Uh, some options like that that we discussed. And have a plan. You know, if the water was shut off, how would I do it? Where would I get it? Do I have a few cans around? So for me, it would look like something like this. Six-month emergency fund to cover my expenses. Three months of food in the larder for my entire family. I would have... Uh, probably um, 
a couple of 55 gallon food grade water barrels uh, that I could have in the basement to press into, into use for an emergency. And I'd have a few cans, a few water cans like that, and I'd have a good filtration system. So a Berkey or a Gravity like that. Once I had those things in place, I would take a look at, I wanna make sure I can defend my home. You know, we don't need to have all the high speed gear and everything, you just need to have a good reliable carbine. And I would say a minimum of five magazines, put a flashlight on it, put a good optic on it, have a sling on it, understand how it works, and have that ability. Maybe a few radios like that, have some good flashlights with batteries, some extra batteries in your cache, and a way to cook. You know, so that could just be maybe a couple five-gallon cans of uh, propane that you've got. Propane will last a long time in a camp stove. And many of you are already going to have these things. And I would really encourage you, and I think maybe, we'll, maybe when, when the fast is done, we can, we can do a little exercise together where instead of fasting for 24 hours, we'll go throw our breaker. We'll throw the main breaker on the house and I'll do the same thing and then we'll see where the shortcomings are. We'll see where the, where the problems are uh, with our preparations um, and involve your whole family and, and, and do that. Um, so, and that will point out the things that you need as well. So I, I, I wouldn't, if you look at the big picture with, with feeling like you're behind on your preparations, it, it, it is depressing. I understand that. But go back to the basics like we're talking about here. Deal with those. You know, and then once I had that, all that in place, Shelter's covered, food's covered, water's, water's covered. Uh, I can defend me and mine. I would take a look at your vehicle and your transportation. What do I have if I needed to get out and go, if I needed to bug out, if you live in an urban area, that's an additional concern that you're gonna have that would maybe fall under shelter. If your shelter is not safe or potentially not safe and you might need to leave, well, now we're talking about focusing on our vehicle. So I would recommend you get yourself a pickup or something the equivalent, something that you can haul your whole family in, that you can carry some gear, and that's where the overland, the whole old overland thing comes in. It'd be very nice for an apartment dweller or a city dweller if you found yourself caught up in riot and lots of bad things are happening, like we saw last weekend in Chicago, where you could remove yourself from that situation and you're not at the last minute running around trying to think, oh goodness, where's, do I have what I need and do I have a camp stove and do I have sleeping bags for my kids? If you've already done that, if you're already practicing that overland lifestyle, you've already done it. You've been out on the weekends, you know that the kids' sleeping bags are in there, you know you can cook, you know you can deal with water. You know, so that, that's the sort of thing. You know, and when you break it down like that, it's really not insurmountable. It's not overly difficult. Just, just take it piece by piece and just start knocking it out. But I would, you know, it's a tough call. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. The emergency fund is number one. You got to get that monkey off your back. You got to be, you'll find that if a, if a boss or an employer wants to abuse you, meaning forcing you to do something that you don't want to do under fear of being fired, how many people took the, went against what they knew to be right and they took the, um, the jab because they were fearful of losing their job? Well, I don't know. You know, we'll never have that number, but I would say I'd be willing to speculate a great deal. A great deal. Um, would you be in a better position 
that if you were forced with that ultimatum and you had a six month emergency fund, would you be, would you feel pressured? No, no, you have all the, you have a lot of options. You're going to go tell him to pound sand and you know, you've got a little bit of a safety net. So I think that that is probably the number one thing that you should do. I would, I would say getting out of debt and the emergency fund are, are just, they're kind of hand in hand. So where do you start? Let's say you have neither. You're in, you've got debt and you don't have an emergency fund. The very first thing I would do would be a one-month emergency fund. Just one month. Cover your mortgage, cover your car notes, cover your insurance, all that sort of thing. Whatever that number is. Have that first. Hold the debt. Just pay the minimum and hold the debt. Once I did that, I would, um, I would start working on that debt. Uh, take it from the smallest to the largest and start knocking it out, just like we did yesterday. I went into de detail on this yesterday, so if you want more on that, you can watch yesterday's stream. But that's kind of the way I, I would look at it. And, and to close it all, if I would remember, beloved, that you're just one man, you can only do so much, and that you're not a superhero, and you have limited resources. So don't compare yourself with anyone else. Do what you can. Trust God to fill in the blanks. You know, pray. Pray and fast. Ask for wisdom. Ask for guidance where I should spend my resources and then um, do what you can and go to sleep at night with a clear heart uh, knowing that you've done what you can do and um, trust God to fill in, fill in the, the, where you're lacking. Good question though. Goodness, we have a super chat of $100 from, my goodness, from get crazy, get crazy Cajun. I, I'm gonna pull out all the stops here. Here we go. Are you ready? Must be nice. Must be nice to have How about that? <laughs> Must be nice to get a hundred dollar donation. It is. Thank you. Thank you. Get crazy Cajun. Goodness, that is very generous of you. Very generous. Let's hear the hundred dollar sound. You got it. I hope you got it. Also, thank you for all you do. do. You are an inspiration to many men. Well, I appreciate that. I, um, I'm very humbled. I'm very humbled by being here, and, and I feel very grateful to be able to do this live stream and, and have these conversations. It's, uh, I'm still learning. Uh, it, it's, we're on stream number 53, and I, I get really nervous before these streams, and I have all these expectations, and I'm trying to make things nice, and it, it gets gets me nervous when things don't work out, but that's just part of it. There, there's a lot of moving parts here. Uh, it's a completely new job that I've never done before, and just like anything, it's going to take practice, and, and we'll get better and better at it. So thank you for being patient. Thank you for supporting us, and good grief. That is a fabulous, fabulous thing. Shout out to the crazy Cajun. Man, goodness. And Mr. Bilbo Baggins is back. We saw Bilbo yesterday. He had a very good question. Shout out to you, Bilbo. He writes, uh, would you ever move to the south, east? Why or why not? Oh, man. I, you, I'll, I'll tell you this. If I, I can't foresee any situation that would cause me to move back to the old country or to, to the east coast whatsoever. But I'll tell you, if I had to pick... If I had to pick one state to move in and it had to be on the East Coast, what would it be? I'd move to North Carolina. 
Yeah. North Carolina. Everyone I meet from North Carolina is good people. Uh, they're very proud of being North Carolinians. There's a lot of good industry there, and they just seem like they're good, freedom-minded folks. They're, North Carolina is the West Coast of the East Coast. So that's what, what, what it would be. I wouldn't consider anything else. Why not? Well, first off, East Coast man lives there. Second off, it's so crowd. It's just so crowded. It's um, what we have here on the West Coast. It, it, there's, there, I don't think there's nowhere near as many people, and and the states are massive. They're huge. We can literally. My buddy Dave and I last year were laughing about this. He he's got a friend that lives on the in Los Angeles. And he's always surrounded by people. And he's an outdoor type of guy. You know, he tries to get out. One of the things he always complains about is no matter where he goes, there's always people there. He always has to deal with finding a parking spot. There's always someone leaving trash or someone blaring music. There's just always people. You can never, ever get away from people. You can never be alone. And what, what my buddy David does is, is every time we go for a ride, you know, we'll go out for six, seven hours and never see anybody the whole time. And it's just astonishing um, that you can do that. We're just used to it. And that's the thing that I would really miss is to, to be able to, to have to the north of me millions of acres of, of virgin and old growth forest uh, that you'll probably never, ever see anyone that you can explore and hang out and just be by yourself. That's one of the things that I enjoy the most is, is being able to just five minutes from home to be in nature where you'll never hear or see anyone. And that's the thing that I think I would miss the most. Now, maybe there are areas like that. I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time over there, but just looking at the density maps, there's a lot more people over there. And also, you know, in a situation where you had to defend you, yours, and if we, if we got into a, you know, a natural disaster or a man-made disaster, the co competition for resources over there would be, that would be a struggle as well. There's just gonna be a lot more folks around there. And I just don't like to be around a lot of folks that much. I like to be around my inner circle and my friends and family, but crowds I, I do not like. So, and and it, you know I'm just I was just born here. This is this is my land. The humidity agrees with me. The smell of the forest agrees with me. The topography, the mountains, the rivers. It's just what I like. It's just what I know. It's just my. It's my. Feels like my native land. And whenever I traveled around, I, worked, I traveled extensively as a construction superintendent, so I got to see most of the country from the south uh, to the north, the east coast, Las Vegas, the desert and all of that. And I always just longed to be back home. I always felt, as soon as I felt that beautiful Pacific Northwest humidity and just the general feel of it and just the coolness of the air, it just feels like home to me. I, I would have a hard time living anywhere else. I never thought that I would have to live anywhere else, but it could be possible. I, I've thought more about moving in the last couple of weeks than I have ever, because it just might, it, it just, the, the local government, the state governments might just become so antagonistic towards freedom-minded people uh, with regulations, whether it be infringing on our second amendment to ridiculous building codes to ever increasing taxes. Um, you know, it, starting to look at other states, you start to look towards 
you know, rural, more rural states, Idaho, Montana, that area, and you start to see, well, there's a lot of benefits there. You know, in Idaho, in some counties, you can go and build without a building permit. Can you imagine that? You know, they treat you like adults. How nice to be able, I mean, that would give you a tremendous head start. Like we're trying to build right now and I mean, we haven't even broke ground and we're, we're going to, even before we break ground, you know, we're going to be thousands, tens of thousands of dollars just paying writing checks, writing checks, writing checks to government agencies for the permission to build a house on my own land. I, I'm so over it. I'm so over the nanny state. I'm so over the regulations and, and the taxation. You know, it, it, we have to see it for what it is. They're stealing from us, beloved. They're stealing from us. You, if you were to take a man 100 years ago and, and tell him that in the future, you, will, you won't be able to do what you want on your own land. You can buy a piece of land with your own hard-earned money and you can't do what you want to on it without some ne'er-do-well coming out there, without some buffoon coming out here and giving me permission. You know, it, we've put up with it for a long time because that's just all we knew. But it, you know, maybe we put up with it because they were actually doing something for the most part. I've worked in the trades my whole life. I know I've worked with building inspectors and I, I know they have a job to do. I know there's things that have to happen. I know that when we pay in to local government, we do that so they can maintain the streets and they can run the snow plows and they can, you know, we get it, we get it. It's gonna be, there's gonna be a cost there. It's for the greater good. I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. I'm not, I'm not ready to go full anarchy where every man is in charge of his own issues, his own, his own concerns. But I cannot stomach um, paying outrageous fees to government agencies and taxes when they're not producing, they're, when they're not, when they're not responsible with that money, or they're not using it all at all, or they're not, or they're not producing, they're not fixing the roads, or they're fixing the bridges, or they're not keeping my wife safe if she wants to go to the grocery store because a bunch of dudes are sleeping, sleeping in tents shooting heroin on the drive out on the front sidewalk, you know? I mean, when we see this, and, and then the cops, you know, yeah, we have to support cops in the fire department. And when the cops are not helping, and the cops are coming out and, and they're killing people, and they're running roughshod all over and, and abusing folks, you know, all of this stuff builds up to the point where you start to look at taxes and what, why are we paying these buffoons a little bit differently? And it wouldn't take very many folks to, to make some changes. Um, I'm so, I'm, get, I'm really getting fed up with it. I'm really, really getting fed up with it. And I'm, very, and I'm not alone, I think, in being less inclined to follow a lot of these regulations that we've just always assumed that we had to follow. We have a super chat from Sinkable Might 111. Shout out to you. <laughs> I wish I could hear my own sound drops because they're so good. Sinkable writes, uh, sorry I had to end my membership. Money was getting tight, but I'm glad to be back. There's no obligation here. You, anyone is welcome to come here for free. If, if, you, if you can... Be, become a member, you're invited to do so. Absolutely. Good to, have you, good, good to have you back. I'm glad to hear you're doing better. 
And we have a live chat, uh, a member's chat, uh, who writes, uh, love, love your content. Let me start over here. The struggle st stream is real. The struggle stream sets, set the tone, and I'm ha having trouble getting back in my groove here. Hex876 writes, love, love your content. I live on, the, on Los Angeles suburbs. I have $300. What tools do I absolutely need in case it goes sideways? That's a good question. So if we had 300, Los Angeles, what tool? Man, $300 is not a lot. Um, man, what tool? What tool? What tool would I do? What, what comes to mind? Like if I had, to, if I had like just one minute, to, if I lived in Los Angeles and I had a truck and I needed one tool, can you buy a high point for $300? Can you buy a high point in California? Oh, goodness, man. I don't know, man. I'm going to assume you already have a high point. A f I'll, I'll tell you a flashlight. Maybe a flashlight would be really high on my list. That's the thing that comes to mind. Half of your time spent is going to be in the dark and half of the, the time in the daylight. A flashlight, to be able to see at night is super, super important because nighttime is uh, people try to hide themselves or sneak around under the cover of night. Without a flashlight, I mean, it's, that, that's a bad situation to be in, especially if someone else has it. I would have a good flashlight, um, Surefire, Streamlight, something to that effect. That's going to leave me about $200. Man, that is a very, very difficult question, where I'd spend that $300 on tools. You know, I, I'm basically, you, you basically, with that type of money, the only thing you can really do is equip yourself with an EDC. I mean, we, we, you're not going to equip a car with $300. You're not going to equip a house with $300 or a piece of property. So I'm going to look at EDC. I'm going I'm to assume we're starting from scratch. And Los Angeles man probably doesn't have an EDC. So he's going to need one. Flashlight, a good EDC flashlight, a Surefire, like a uh, little backup. And then I'm going to have myself a good pocket knife. Um, if you can't afford one of the Gucci fancy knives, like a 940 or something, I'm going to get something from either Buck, CRKT, or Kershaw. A good flipping knife. You know, maybe something a little bit on the larger side. Something that would be a good defensive item. I'm going to go with that. So there's 150. Uh, that's going to be a better part of $200. Once I have that, I'm going to get... Uh, and that, this is like the most difficult question I've ever answered. Because I just don't know... I just don't know what you're dealing with. And some good boots. Some good shoes. <laughs> some good shoes. I'm going to buy myself a pair of Solomon hikers. I'm going to have myself. I'm going to basically do a kind of a, a basic, a, a very budget bug out kit. Uh, Second hand backpack. I'm going to get from the from the thrift store. I'm going to have uh, uh, two or three bottles of water in there. I'm going to have a couple of MREs in there. I'm going to have a flashlight, 
gonna have a warm jacket and a stocking cap. You're gonna have um, 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 a, a weapon of some sort, uh, EDC knife, uh, and that's basically gonna round it up. That's about all a guy can get for 300. Maybe you can work in a handkerchief with that. I'm gonna have to think about that. I don't think I did. I don't think I did you a very good service on my list there. But that's a tough question. Tough question. But I would. Uh, the flashlight would be pretty important. I just watched uh, a most fascinating YouTube video uh, from uh, Vigilance Elite. He interviewed um, a guy that was former Delta Force, really skookum, squared away dude. And he told the story, I forget his name, I'm sorry about that, but he told the story about how he had, uh, he was um, working, I think he was maybe working with the CIA as security or something, but there was a situation where a lot of the uh, dignitaries, U.S. dignitaries and their families, uh, were in a, a hotel um, and some bad dudes came in there and started sh shooting them and killing them. And he was the only guy around. He got the call and he basically had to grab his equipment and run into this environment unknown. Now, this is a guy, a, a, team, a team guy that is used to working with um, support and unlimited resources. Can you imagine a Delta operator where he had to um, go into this environment um, not knowing, not having any intelligence, not knowing how many guys are in there, not really even knowing the lay of the land with just a little bit of sketchy information and, and walk into the worst possible scenario where there are active shooter situation going on there with multiple shooters. And I'll try to remember, uh, see if I can put that link up. I'll, 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 I'll go find that video and I'll attach that to the community page so you guys can go watch it. But it's a fascinating story. And about he talks a lot about gear and equipment. He talks about what made the difference for him in that situation was that he had everything ready. He basically had a, a, a go bag. And what was in the go bag? He had his 416. He's got his body armor, with plate carrier, etc., with everything equipped on there. Um, and that's basically what he grabbed. And because he was able, and he saved a lot of lives that day, and he, he basically what he did was beyond heroic. Um, but how he was able to deal with that situation was because he was a checked out dude and, and could respond immediately, uh, he was able to go in there and, and intervene and to do something with that. So putting together that kit you know, for the $300 is going to be a little bit tight, but you could. But that's really what I would look at. It, it would basically be um, a bailout kit, a kit that you could, knowing your own skills, knowing your own situation, and what, what would be the tools that you would need to get yourself to where you needed to go? Is it defending your own home or apartment, or is it removing yourself from the situation and getting to a safe location? So the $300 that I would spend would be, you know, I would kind of look at it that way. Good question, though. Sailing Prepper Dark Secrets, shout out to you, writes, Have you ever used a sketchin? I don't know what a sketchin is. What is a sketchin? I have no idea. Maybe someone can, can bring that up here and, and tell me and I'll, I'll be happy to uh, comment. I don't know what that is. We have a super chat from Wikipedia Brown. Shout out to Wikipedia. Wikipedia writes, how do you know how much, how do you know so much about random rap slang? Like who taught you the, <laughs> well, I grew up with it. I grew up with it. I've always liked it. Um, I grew up with um, um, 
Boogie Down Production and NWA and Easy E and Sir Mix-a-Lot and all those, you know, all those West Coast guys. Uh, I had, uh, I was really into stereos when I was about 18, 19, you know, I had the big banging subwoofers in the back of my, my Toyota and was into all that scene. I've always really been in, into music, but, um, and I still listen to it. I still listen to it. I like, I like, I like, you know what I like, what I like about it, let's talk about drill rap, for example, we'll just pick, pick a genre. I don't, I'm not advocating the lifestyle and the violence and, and such, but what I like about it is that it's so authentic and it's so raw. It is people, it is men living on the edge, not knowing if they're going to live, if they're going to die. And that, and that intensity of living, I wouldn't want to live that way. I'm not, I'm not, ro ro I'm not trying to make it look better than it is. I would not want to live in Chicago. I don't want to live in old block, right? But the music and the passion that comes out of that is so authentic and real that I'm drawn to it. Living in comfort where you want for nothing, where you're not under, there's no risk of personal injury or being killed or shot. You know, things just, the volume every, in the, in the, just the intensity of everything just really starts to get toned down. And the more you surround yourself with comfort and the more you surround yourself with ease, just the blander and more homogenized life gets. That's why I'm up testing myself in the mountains with these extreme moto rides. That's why I'm racing motorcycles on the weekends. That's why I'm pushing, putting myself in this environment because that's what living is about. And I like that music or I like the passion that comes out of it because of that intensity. Because regardless of what they're doing, um, it's real, man. And there's consequences for it. And they're living in the moment. And that is really definitely reflected in the music. And I think, I think it's just one of the realest things I've ever heard. It's not overly produced and it's just authentic. And it's, and they have a culture. You know, the, the gang culture is, is a real culture, whether it be the black gangs of Chicago or whether it be white biker gangs, you know. Again, I'm not romanticizing these. I'm not saying that that's the ideal or that I want to run off and join one. But when you don't really have a culture as Americans, we don't really have a culture to speak of, especially now that we're all so separated where people leave the place that they grew up in to go live in a city. So you don't really have a land that you have roots in and you don't really have anything to, you know, to fight for it when, when you when your culture is non-existent or been stripped away from you you know you, uh, you look almost can look with envy at people that are, are are actually living relying upon each other depending upon each other and that's what you see in the gangs and that's what's really lacking with us you know we're trying to build that here to a certain extent but it's not the same you know it's it's a it's an echo of what it's really like to really be you know, shoulder to shoulder with another man and, and needing him or relying upon him for your own existence or safety. You know how the motorcycle gangs started after World War II? 
you had a, a large part of the population that uh, fought in World War II, a lot of the men. And I understand what it's like uh, to work with men if, uh, to try to, to, to achieve a common goal. I've told you guys in the past that when I used to go elk hunting with my grandfather, when I started going with him hunting, I was 12, and we would go for two weeks. And at the end of that two weeks, we'd, we, after spending two weeks living in tents in an austere environment, completely removed from, from anything that was urban or street lights or cities, like in, really in, in remote locations, um, working together, eating together, sleeping together, being together with all of these men for, with a common goal, and that was to harvest meat for our families. When I found myself at the tail end of that at two weeks and had to go back into school, grade school, I suffered, I felt really depressed for, for a week or so. It was, it was so, it was very jarring to be pulled out of that wonderful environment where it was so, so single-minded and you relied upon one another and to be in the company of like-minded men, to be pulled out of that and then plugged back into a state-ran school, it was super, super depressing. It was like I was ripped out of my tribe, out of my, out of my family, um, to go be put in this where I sat and you know, did what school kids do. My granddad said he expressed, he felt the same thing when he got out of the war. He was almost four years in World War II with the Air Corps, and he had a whole lot of hard time adjusting when he got back because they, again, working around, he had a tribe, his unit. They had a purpose, a goal, living in tents together. And then to be removed from that and, and put back into this suburban environment was a, was a difficult adjustment for him. And some guys adjust to it better than others do. The motorcycle gangs, how I understand it, how they started, was just those men. Those men that came back and were not able to fit back in and plug back into community and, and longed for the camaraderie of being with other men, uh, a tribe. And that's how those motorcycle gangs started. They were ex-veterans and um, like the Hells Angels on the West Coast. And these men found each other and bound together and were ne never able to fit in and couldn't hold down jobs or didn't want to. And, and so they built, their own, they built their own communities, their own tribes, their own culture. And those motorcycle gangs certainly do have a culture. There's no question about it. A lot more culture than you and I have. So... I mean, to answer your question, I haven't really thought about this too much. I'm just working it out here as we're talking about it. But I think that's what appeals to me is, is the realness of it. Does that make sense? Thank you, Wikipedia. Appreciate that. Mr. Josh C. Goodness. You say I got these old eyes. I can't see my sound drop. That's Shout out nice. to you, Josh C. Welcome. He writes, what advice can you provide for learning how to fly fish? I'm going to Alaska this summer, and I want to be prepared the best I can. Well, you can learn to fly fish. Uh, you don't need to be on the river. You, you can learn to fly fish in a field. That's what I did. So there's two types of fly fishing you're going to run into, basically. You're going to have dry fly fishing and wet fly fishing. They're two different lines. And to make it simple, when you buy a reel, Make sure you know what type of fishing you're going to do if you're going to go up with a guide or look into a little bit. But you probably should have both. So when I was doing it a lot, I used to make my own rods and tie my own flies and all that. Buy a reel, 
that has a, um, a spool that will, that will come off. Sometimes some of the reels you can buy will come with two, two spools and get two lines. Get your dry line and your wet line. Two separate lines like that. But your dry, your dry line, yeah, that's probably going to be the most fun where you're going to start. That's where the fly sits on the top and floats along the water. What you want to do is you want to learn how to cast. Um, and you can go do that in the field. So get your rod and your line and everything ready. You don't need to do a leader or anything on it. You can add that later. And then go watch some videos and, and, and learn the casting, how to cast. The reason why you're doing this back and forth is twofold. One, you're drying your fly off and you're whipping the line so that you can throw it and roll it out or mend the line. So once you learn that moment movement, then you need to learn you know, the, the roll, the flick. So I, what I would do is I would just get my equipment, get your rod and reel, get your line, and go watch a couple tutorials. Go out someplace where you're going to have a big area where you don't have trees and bushes around and go out there and practice. That's what I did. I practiced. I used to go every weekend and practice and practice a big area, and that's how so you can do it. There's a lot of good tutorials on there. It's, it's not overly difficult. The other thing with fly fishing is... Um, Make sure I would get some good waders. I would definitely get some good waders. Get some good waders and some good wading shoes. Is that because one thing, especially if you're up there by yourself, so there's three things you're going to want to get. You're going to want to get your fly outfit. Get yourself some good waders and make sure they're insulated. The water up there is cold, cold, cold. I've spent many a cold February in 34, 35 degree water up to my waist uh, fly fishing uh, and it's super cold. And I've had uninsulated waders and weighted and insulated and you definitely want insulated. Put a belt around your waders. If you have the old school style, I almost drowned in those things. If you fall in the water when you're trying to cross, then uh, the water gets in there and they drag you down. So put a belt around there if you have the old school ones so it keeps the water from going down in them and always cross a stream with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> be very careful with that and all and get a 10 millimeter because you're gonna be up in bear country so if you don't have a guide uh, or someone that's gonna be armed up there and the fish tent or the bears tend to gravitate towards those streams because that's where the food is and that's you're most likely gonna have a bear encounter up there so just know what you're getting into um, but you can do everything you need to do practice your casting and all of that you don't need any water just go out in the field that's what I, that's what I did we have a super chat from Mr. Jeremy McCook. Shout out to you, Jeremy. Jeremy writes, well, come on now. We got we to gotta hook Jeremy up. Must be nice. Everyone gets a sound drop here. There are YouTube videos on how to connect two bow fangs to create a repeater. It's very simple. Just need to get, get it up high in the air. Yeah. Well, that's not something that I'm, I, I know anything about. We're going to rely upon our in-house expert, Evan, uh, for that. Um, I'm sure he knows about that. I talked with him on the phone yesterday. We had a delightful conversation, and he's a really good dude. Um, and he was a little bit concerned about getting in over his head, uh, having so many orders to fulfill. So that's why we capped it at 100. So, but he's, he sounds like a really good dude. And some of the middlemen um, have known him for some time now. So we're in good hands. The Thai guy, goodness, shout out to you. Let's give us a good Let sound drop here. Welcome. House. Thank you. The Thai guy writes, rate my proho. Okay. So the Thai guy is 25. 
Mechanical engineer, that's pretty good at 25. Raised on a dairy farm, well that gives you six points right there. If you're raised on a dairy farm, you know two things. You know how to get up early and you know how to work hard. Own a pickup, just bought a G19, taken cold showers for three, three weeks, and survivor of the Minnesota mosquitoes. Now, I have a very limited amount of information right here, but what I'm seeing is looking very, very good. He's 25 as a mechanical engineer. I'm going to rate your Proho. You know, I, I, I was thinking 8.5, but when I heard dairy farm, because a dairy farmer, he's going to have to do everything. He's going to have a really good skill set as well. You have to my neighbor is a dairy farm and he can do anything. You have to know how to work on equipment, trucks and tractors, diesel and gas. You definitely know, need to know how to run complex machinery uh, with the, the milking parlor and all of that. Uh, you're gonna have animal husbandry because you're dealing with that. Uh, oh, refrigeration. I mean, I, I can't really think of something where you would have to know more things than a dairy farm. Really, I mean, there's nothing of all the skills that are important for a man to know. All of those need to be in your repertoire for a dairy farmer. So I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb with my limited information. And because you don't have a G19X, I'm going to give you a 9.5. I'm going to rate your Proho tie guy as 9.5. There you go. Got it to you. Welcome. Wikipedia Brown writes, come on, just tell us where to get the cool rap slang from. Is it the kids? Do you listen to 2 Chains?" I listen to all of it. No, I, I don't get it from kids. I get it right from the source. Um, I, have a, I have a moto, what I call a moto playlist on my Spotify and that I listen to in my helmet um, when I'm riding. And it's mostly hip-hop, and drill rap. That's where I get it. We have a super chat from Mr. Chris... Oh, thank you, Wikipedia. We have a super chat from Mr. Chris Hall, who's been a member with us for two months now. Shout out to you, Chris. Chris writes, only downside to the 9400 is that it isn't one-hand open, like the 940 also. More parts that can break from the Proho who cleans his 24 knives weekly. Now, I have heard... See, I'm not going to go out, I, I'm not going to give the 9400 a rating yet. And I, I've learned, I've made this mistake in the past where I got really infatuated, infatuated. Someone write that down. Infatuated. That's going to have to be a sound drop. And what's the other one? Fantastical? I don't remember. I've made the mistake in the past of, of getting, becoming infatuated with a new knife because it was the honeymoon era. Classic example uh, was the, um, the pair of three, the Spyderco, where I just knew that this was, this was going to be the new EDC for the rest of my life. This was going to be the knife and the 940 was going to be relegated to the junk drawer. Only to find out, only to go back to the 940. Now, I think honestly, to, to be able to, for me to, for, for, for anything to dethrone the 940 Osborne, it, I'll have to test a knife for a minimum of six months, preferably a year. That would get me through all four seasons. 
Why is that important? Well, the knife, a pocket knife like that is, is, a thing, is one of the most important tools that you can have because it, is a, it assists you and helps you in the many different problems that you run into throughout the seasons. So how the knife reacts in those situations, uh, you just don't know. Like, let's say you're using it on when we're plowing snow. Let's say we're using it when it's hot when it's raining, cold, you know, all these things, you have to use it in all these environments. Will it pry a paint can lid off? You know, so what all of the different jobs and tasks that you'll find yourself doing, you're going to pretty much touch on all of those within a year or so. And that knife will be able to be pushed into, into use. So I cannot say I like it. I was excited about it. I was all wrapped up into the honeymoon of it, but there are a couple of things that I have that are concerning. Um, something that was brought up by fellow Proho yesterday was that he told me that he had cut he'd cut up two pair of pants or two holes in his pockets because if you don't lock it and you bump that button, it'll open in your pocket and it opens and cuts your pants up. And that that's a that could be a real problem. And then a knife that has two things to do, like if I have to close it and do a safety lock. I don't know if I could train myself to do that, you know, because a 940 doesn't require you to do that. So I don't know. You could be right. You could be right. But I, I am going to carry it and I will give a three month update. I won't make any rulings on this, but I will give a three month update at or near uh, and tell you how it's going uh, with carrying this. So I, I can't speak to it. You could be right. And this is coming from, see, Chris, he's, he's um, you know, he takes care of his knives, unlike I do who cleans his 24 knives weekly. Yeah, it's his thing. So he knows about these knives. But also, sometimes guys like Chris, something, some trap that you can fall into it. And I've, I fall into these things as well. You know, I, I, I clean my motorcycle. It's ridiculous the amount of time I spend on that. You know, but some guys, that's important to them. Some guys, it's not. But you can, be, you can, you can become a little bit nitpicky or you can be, become overcritical and really focus in on the minutiae or, or details that don't really matter to normal dudes. So that's what you gotta be careful of. When it's your thing, when you geek out on it, when you clean your 24 knives weekly, you are very much aware of all of the little foibles and all the little things that some guys can live with. So we have to, we have to get the big picture before we can make that ruling. But noted, nope, I noted, I know what you're saying. It's more complex, more parts that can break, but we'll see. The proof will be in the eating of the pudding. So it's too soon to say. Shout out to you, Chris. And Mr. Evan Ross. Goodness. A sound, a sound deck is in, my, is in my future. I didn't think so. I thought I could get away with pushing these little fiddly buttons, uh, but I cannot. Your content is hitting home. Thank you. I hold my late granddad in high regard as well. And use the mantra, what would granddad do? to guide my morals, my moral compass. What about the pair and horse story? I'll share, I'll share the story with you. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting of using your granddad as a moral guide. What would granddad do? I'm a little bit, as a person of faith, you know, we know that there's only been one perfect person and that perfect person is our Lord and Christ, a Savior, Jesus Christ. Ultimately, you know, there's a, 
that's the guide. You know, he, the reason, one of the reasons why God sent him down here and didn't send him to be born into privilege, but sent him to be born into a very poor family in difficult circumstances. Under, under, and don't forget that he was also born under a cloud of infidelity on his mother's side. There were questions as to who was his father. We know from the story that when the, when the able, when, when we'll talk about Mary becoming pregnant, the virgin birth, when her betrothed, her betrothed, her, her husband, Joseph, when they were about to be married, when he was made aware of this, he was going to put her out. He, had, he had, was concerned that she had been unfaithful to him. Obviously, she had, you know, she was supposed to be, he was supposed to be marrying a virgin bride, and she now is pregnant. So he's thinking to himself, well, you know, he wasn't a, he wasn't a monster. There were some, men's, some men that may have put that out publicly, tried to embarrass her, you know, made a big stink about it. He was going to try to handle it quietly um, so that there was the least amount of embarrassment for everyone. Well, God came to him and said, take this woman as your wife. This, this is from the Holy Spirit. This, this is from me. She has not been unfaithful. So that story got out, and we know that that always hung over him. Can you imagine, you can only imagine as he was growing up in Galilee, growing up in, in Nazareth, that f kids made fun of him. There was a question about his, his mother not being faithful, his wather, mother being impregnated by another man. And that, you know, might not be the deal, might not be a big deal here with us these times, but back then, you know, that was a big, big deal. And so it's interesting that God didn't allow Jesus to, to come into the world with privileges, meaning born into a rich family, maybe born into a, a family that was involved in the priesthood so that he could have every advantage to, to do well. No, he was born into a poor family. His father was a carpenter. He had the stink on him of being a, uh, perhaps being a bastard child that people made fun of him on. And yet, with all everything going against him, he was able to, to grow up pure, not with no sin upon him, uh, in those difficult situations, and, and, and take it all the way to the end. A perfect life, an example unto us. I think the reason why God did not give him any extra opportunities or any additional help by a nicer family, or, or I mean, not nicer family, but a, a more well-to-do family was, when we look upon what he was able to do with, with, and what he had to deal with, we can, be, it, we can relate. You, know, you can't relate to the difficulties and the struggles of a millionaire. His struggles, he just doesn't know. He doesn't really know what it's like to be worried about how you're going to pay your rent, how you're going you, to fix your transmission on your car. You just can't relate to that. His, he has problems, but his problems are so different. I think it was important for God to come the way that he did, so that even the low of us, the least of us, if we look upon that, what he was able to accomplish, that we can relate to that, and he's relatable. So the reason why I'm saying this is that I, I, I hear what you're saying, I, and I've done the same thing. My, my grandfather, as far as I know, you know, you never really know the heart of man. We see the outside. We judge the best we can, but as best I could tell, he had no vices. 
There just wasn't any evil in him. He was an incredible man, a very honorable and a man full of integrity, integrity, very helpful, put his family first, and, and the best man I ever met. And I do, I have considered that. I have made decisions using that same logic. But it's better to not trust any man, to realize that they're fallen just like we are. But I hear what you're saying. So the story of the pears. <clears throat> Granddad, when I was 10, eight, eight, eight or nine, somewhere in there, he, wa- he, he said, how about you and I, uh, we, get, you, we get 10 speeds and we ride, we ride them all the way to the beach, about 100 miles or so. And that was always something that he wanted to do. We'd ride the whole thing. And so we went down to the uh, local bike shop. Now, this was before all the fancy bikes. Back then, you bought a 10-speed. And uh, we bought two, I think it was Takara, Takara 10-speeds. I had a blue, he had a blue one, and I had a black one. We got the panniers, which are the bags on the side. We got the panniers on the front. We got the little bag that went behind the seat and got all of our camping stuff. And it was, you know, we didn't have lightweight stuff back then. It was stuff, stuff was, most of it was old hunting stuff. So the bikes were loaded down pretty good, but we were going to do it. We had the whole plan, the whole thing planned, and off we went. So we were pedaling, and as we uh, came, we were about an hour or so into the trip heading east, and we came across uh, a pear tree that was just heavy laden, loaded with pears. My granddad stopped and looked at that. He just couldn't stand it. He couldn't stand it. The pears were falling on the ground. No one was picking them. They were essentially just rotting and going to waste. He remembered back to the time in Oklahoma during the Dust Bowl when they were so hungry. They didn't have enough food to feed the kids and the family. They went, they missed meals. They went without. They had to tighten their belts. It was a very difficult time for them. And it didn't end there. They had to load up their Model T, their Model A, the whole family and all their stuff, go up over the Rockies, and they ultimately settled in Sun Valley, Idaho. And they lived in tents for years. And they worked in the, in the woods as logging. You know, before, this is all before chainsaws. I mean, it was difficult, very, very difficult. And there was no safety net. If those men weren't able uh, to provide food um, and income, the family would have starved to death. It was, that's the way that it was. And families did starve to death. So this is where he came from. So he could not abide to see anything going to waste like that, and we had to stop. So we went over there and put our bikes on the kickstands, and, and, and he started uh, uh, picking those pears and carrying them and filling up his pockets, and he's trying to get me to fill up my pockets. And he brought a whole bunch of them to his bike, and he, his panniers on the front of his bike, were, there was quite a bit of room left in them, and he started stuffing those, he stuffed those pears in those panniers. Well, pears are heavy. I mean, they're mostly water. And having weight on panniers on the front of your bike is, is pretty ungainly. And so he stuffed those things up where you couldn't get any more. He put, he put them in my panniers. We had pears coming out of our ears, and he's eating them as fast as he can. And how many pears can a man eat, right? So we're pedaling along, and we're going along. And they were so heavy in the front of there that he, it crashed him, and he crashed. He went over there and crashed and, and because of the weight of the thing. And got the thing, got him back up going, and, and off we were going again. And he went down a second time, and that, that was it. <laughs> he, he realized after two crashes, he couldn't have those in there, but he still couldn't get rid of the pears. So he stopped, and he said, 
he said, you, son, come over here. We've got to eat these pears. And so he was eating them as fast as he could, and I was eating them. And I finally said, granted, I can't eat any more pears. <laughs> and he was so sad, but he had to take all those pears out, leave them on the side of the road, um, and off we went, um, pedaling, toward, or pedaling to the sea. But that was it. That was, uh, granddad was, was pretty, pretty frugal. We have another super chat from our friend Bilbo Baggins. Come on now. Must be nice. Shout out to you. <laughs> Welcome, Bilbo. Thank you. I'll get this better. I'll get better. I'll get better. I just need to, I just need, need to get everything dialed in. Bilbo writes, uh, for the record, I'm against bullying. But would it be more beneficial if public shaming and hazing was more accepted? People would be more careful with what they say and do. With, with the fear of getting hit in the mouth. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. I think if I was king for a day, uh, I would bring back the public stocks. Uh, the public stocks, you know, you've seen them before. You put your head and your hands in there, and they're usually put in the city square uh, so that you can be made a spectacle. Um, now, that's all good, provided you trust the cops, and the government uh, to rule justly and not use these um, forms of affliction or this public shaming um, to shame enemies like they're doing now. We're actually seeing the justice system, uh, is, the federal justice system is being, it has been weaponized and being used uh, to, um, for political means. So in, in our current environment, no, I, I can't advocate that because I don't trust the people making the decision. Now, if we're going to go back a little bit and say, okay, we have honorable men that are sitting on the bench. We have honorable men who are in charge of law enforcement that are going to do the right thing. And the only way we can get honorable men to do the right thing is if these men live in the community. If you have a pig who is abusing people, He's running around power tripping. He's running around writing ridiculous tickets. He's barging into people's houses without a search warrant. He's bothering your kids because they want to ride motorcycles, their dirt bikes around. If you have a type of guy like that that is out of control, like our current, current pigs, many of them are, then the community will deal with a situation like that. Word will get out. I'm, now, he, it's a, that's why it's important for, for all of the people that are in our local government. It's really important to me that they live in the community and that they're accountable. He's going to be, if he has a half a dozen dudes of angry fathers that show up to his house and um, have, give him a good talking to, and he understands that there are consequences for his bad action, he's going to be polite. Not because he wants to be polite, but because he does it under fear of retribution. And unfortunately, that's the way people are. We, there are a select group of people that do what is right because they know it's right, because they live by the rule of God. They have the Ten Commandments written upon their heart, and they don't need cops to tell them what to do. They don't need someone to prevent them from, from shoplifting. They don't need a court system and a prison system uh, to prevent them, or the threat of being incarcerated, to prevent them from abusing their wives. You know, we are grown people. We're grown men, and we're able to monitor ourselves. That was the old. That's what God wants us to be. You know, just think about that. You think of the Ten Commandments and all of the childish, foolish uh, 
people who think that they know what the Bible is and they think what they know what the Ten Commandments are, they look at them as an arbitrary set of rules kept, that are put there to keep us from having a good time. It's such a child's understanding of everything. If Proho, all of us, were to follow the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't have a need of, of there wouldn't be any taxes, there wouldn't be any door locks, there wouldn't be any weapons, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't, we would basically live the way God designed us to be. The reason why we have the Ten Commandments because it is, it, people would be able to self-rule. I'm not going to murder if I'm a man of God. I'm not going to covet my neighbor's wife. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to bear false witness. All of what, if people were to follow these things, there wouldn't be any need of them. But we live in a sinful world, and we live in a world full of low-quality people that don't subscribe to this or live by the law of the jungle. And when you live with that, when you live with, when you have that in your society, then you have to have these things. The big problem with the cops is there is no accountability. They have, if they, they can come in, I mean, it's astonishing when you think about it. The cops, with the qualified immunity, immunity that they enjoy, and this is just happening, they can knock on the wrong door and kill the family in that house and completely be free. And, and, and never miss a beat. No threat. You know, they made a mistake. They went to the wrong house. They were trigger ha happy and they killed an innocent man with no consequences. You know, you cannot have that. You cannot have people with that much power and no consequences whatsoever. Do you think the situation would be different if going into that situation they knew that if they messed up and they killed the wrong person or they acted um, neg negligently that they would pay the price for that? We would have a very different police force whatsoever. So having accountability is everything, 100%. And I would bring it back as well. I would, uh, it would be, again, if I was king for a day uh, for these positions, they would, be very, they would very clearly understand who is the boss, whether you're a judge or a cop or the dog chaser or the water guy. They would, they would know that they operate because we allow them to operate and that they are our servants and not the other way around and that they, they, need to, they need to behave in that manner. Just that alone of recruiting from your own would solve a whole lot of problems. But if you get to the point where you still are having issues, I would not at all be pro you know, if they won't follow the rules, then they, because they're, they won't do the right thing because it's the right thing, then you have to make them do it because they fear the consequences. So I agree with you 100%. Um, I don't like bullying as well e either, but this is a whole different thing. If you have someone that's been warned and warned and warned and they still continue to act, act up and behave badly, then you, know, you have to give them the lash. It's, it's the only thing that they'll understand. And if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. But I would bring back the public stocks and I would put them in the grade school and the high school Right, right out there in the front so all the kids could grow up seeing. You see, that's the consequences. Couldn't agree more, though. Accountability, that's the problem. We have a super chat from Con Tramp. Welcome, Con. Come on now. We're going to give him a drop as well. Must be nice. Con Tramp writes, ever tried Miller's Creamy Honey? No, I haven't tried Miller's Creamy Honey. The stuff is delicious. Sorry, couldn't make it for the start of the stream. Glad to make it all the way through. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of it. 
I've always been of the belief that you should eat honey from your local area. It has, uh, uh, I think it's the healthiest way to go. The bees are um, flying around and harvesting, pollinating on the plants that you grew up with, the plants that you're used to in your own area, and I think that there's something to that. But I haven't. No. Send me some and I'll try it. I'll give you my full review. Shout out to Khan. Thank you. And Grandpa. We've got a $2 super chat from Grandpa. Grandpa writes, approaches warband beats loud. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. Amen to that. And Lucy, our newest member. Welcome, Lucy. Lucy writes, love my 940. Got one after watching many of, many of your videos speaking about it. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. I um, was a little reluctant to, uh, to, to grab the 9400 today Next, instead of my 940, but I'm going to give it a go. I told you guys I'm going to carry it at least for three months, and then I will report back. You know, my dad carried a very similar knife to that. It wasn't the 9400, but it was a, an automatic, a full-size Benchmade automatic. He loved it. He just never could understand why I wouldn't carry an automatic. But I don't ever remember ta him talking about it opening in your pocket. And that's a concern of mine. Um, first off, I don't want to cut my pants pockets up. And that's pretty close to a femoral, femoral artery. You know, strange things can happen. But to have a big knife like that in your pocket, if you were to, like, what if you crashed on a, you know, lots of strange things can happen. So that's a concern of mine. I, I know there's a lock on the top, but I'll have to look into that. I hadn't really considered that till that was brought up, that that can open in your pocket. That is a concern. Thank you, Lucy, and welcome. We have a new member, B. Padden, Maintenance and Repair. Shout out to you. Come on now, let's, let's uh, give a big drop for that. And our newest member, Phoenix Bird. Welcome. Shout out to you as well, Phoenix Bird. Goodness. The struggle stream. <laughs> I've been, been on edge this whole time. I'm just waiting for like the camera to not work or who knows what. I'm looking forward to look, I've been looking forward to it being over. Maybe I'm just hungry. Maybe that's what it is. Good grief. Well, I appreciate you guys uh, uh, struggling with me uh, in the struggle stream. <sighs> hardest job in the, the hardest job in the world, this. I'm convinced of it. All right, I think we're going to shut it down. Shut it down. I'm going to have some stuff for you members, new members. You get to enjoy exclusive content. I've got some projects I'm firing up here in the shop uh, that I will be sharing with you guys. Uh, we did, uh, yeah, we'll just call it with that. Get while the getting's good. Thank you, beloved. I really appreciate it. Those of you who are fasting, I want to remember, remind you and myself, when we shut down the stream, make sure you go drink a bunch of water and um, just... Be focused on what it is that you are asking for from the Almighty. Um, as I said before, I think, you know, for me, I can't speak to everyone. I don't know what your, all your particular situations are. But to explain why, I guess we have to answer the question, why does God want us to sacrifice in this way? Why, why are we asked um, to fast in addition to praying? I can tell you for me what it is, is that there's so much, there's so many things that I worry about through the day, that so many the cares of life and just all of the responsibilities and obligations that, especially those of men, those of us who are fathers and husbands, that we, that we carry, that responsibility of taking care of our families. 
you can get caught up uh, in that and just get consumed with that all day and, and not be thinking, not, not maintaining that relationship with God. I can tell you that the Christian walk, you know, for me is, has ebbed and flowed. Uh, there are times that I felt very, very close to my father. Then there are times that I felt like, like he was not answering me or, or wasn't listening to me or, or gone for a time and dry times or you feel like you're going through a desert. And in the, the best times I've had when I've really felt connected in the closest, I was actually able to almost maintain a running dialogue throughout the day where I almost felt like my thoughts were actually his thoughts and that I could speak to him like one speaks to a friend, almost like he was with me in the spirit and that he was helping me in all sorts of things, helping me even making decisions like what I should eat, helping me with decisions on what I should wear or, or what task I should do, or maybe I should go up and talk to someone, or, or it just gives me boop, goosebumps talking about it, but so connected and so plugged in that he was almost like he's directing my steps. And I also find when, when I'm close to him like that in that environment or that, in that situation that I have a, a peace that just defies all understanding and a joy that defies all understanding. There are things and tasks that I loathe doing, that I just detest doing, that I dread. And I find when I'm really close to God that I, I don't have that dread, that everything that my hand finds to do is, is a delight. And there's a, the overarching feeling, I guess for lack of a better word, is of gratitude. Gratitude. Just the opposite of what the world offers. The world offers you're never satisfied, an insatiable appetite. You get a brand new pickup, well, yeah, it's nice for a while, but then you start not liking it or somewhat disappointed because you didn't get the King Ranch. Or you didn't, or you got a hollow sun and you couldn't afford to buy an ACOG. You know, so things that you should be grateful for, that you even have a hollow sun, you tend to be not grateful for. That, that's, that's just the way that the world gets us. Maybe it's just the consumerism and the capitalist society that we're raised in. I don't know. But a lot of dissatisfaction when there should be gratitude. What I find in, when I'm in the presence of God, regardless of my situation, Gratitude is the, it, it, it permeates everything in my life. Gratitude, contentment, peace, joy, and happiness, regardless of situation. It takes effort to maintain that. And for me, the fasting helps because it is a physical reminder of what we're doing here. What we're trying to do is we're trying to, to get back with our Father. We've been cut off from Him. We've been separated by sin. We were born into it. You know, we didn't ask for this, but here we are. But we've been offered an incredible gift. All we have to do is accept it. And that gift is reinstatement back to our family that we were designed and born to be. We've made in the very image of our Father. We're trying to get back to Him. And the reason for Christ and the knowledge of him and for him coming and for us to, make, to build a relationship with him is he's that bridge that it, it, it will get us back to our home. This world sucks. It's full of misery and heartache, disappointment, difficulties. 
without the hope of something different, I just can't even imagine why one would even get up and go. If I, was a, if I had nothing to look forward to other than just the grave disease and sickness and the, and the potential untimely death of loved ones or family members, I don't know how I could even get the will to, to get up and get out of bed. What would the point of it be? Yeah, there's happiness and joy along the way, but ultimately, you know, we face the grave. And, and it's, for many of us, not going to be a very pleasant death. So, I understand that this, I, we, we were never made to live this way. We were, that we were not designed to be in, the, in, in this environment. And once you understand that and realize that we're behind enemy lines, um, I think it makes things a little bit easier. But the problem with, that I have of, of that ebbing and flowing is then, you know, you, you tend to, once you get really close to God, everything's clicking along, and you have that peace and contentment and joy, you start slacking. You start realizing, well, you know, well, I'm feeling pretty good today. Maybe, maybe I don't need to spend an hour in prayer today. Maybe I don't need to do this. Maybe I don't need to read my Bible. You know, I read my Bible a lot last month. And you start to just slowly fade away and you start to adopt the things of the world. And, and then pretty soon, within six months, you wake up and, you know, you haven't talked to God in a month. And you're filled with fear and worry and anxiety and depression and you start looking for things to fill the void alcohol pornography weed whatever that may be chasing girls you know that's just that's just the human condition the fasting i'll close with this the fasting for me is when you get kind of get in that rut when you lose that grip on your faith lose that grip of your father and you haven't maintained that friendship it, it, it reminds you throughout the day what are we doing here What's the reason that we're here? Well, that hunger. Every time you think about eating, every time you think about having lunch or your supper, that is a reminder. This is what we're doing. We have a purpose here. And for me, it just helps me to put things back into perspective. And to, and to the hunger pains and all of that helps me to crowd out the cares and the worries of the world and to stay focused, even if it's just for 24 hours or 12 hours on what it is that's really important in my life. So I know everyone has their own reasons and their own purposes for what they're doing, um, but that's kind of that's, that's what helps me. We have a live chat from another friend. Shout out to you who writes, A hard, dark time me and my ex-wife went through when we was suffered through two miscarriages. Yeah, that is rough. And that time I felt like, like God gave me the finger. Now some years later I see it as a true blessing. I can very much sympathize with that. I hadn't, I hadn't experienced that personal heartache, but I had something. I've had equivalent uh, things like that, and it was a tremendous test of my faith. When we, when, when we were, when we lost, we had to sell the off-grid place. I've spoke to this before. I spoke about it in our book. That was a. I was very, very angry with God over that. I felt that he had treated me very unfairly, that he had called me out to do a specific thing and then left me on my own with no support, no help. I was very angry and resentful towards that. It took me several years later to finally realize that all of that, all of that ambition, all those plans, that that was never part of his plan, that he had something else planned for me. And by me 
holding on to that and trying to force something to happen that was never intended to happen was that was my fault it wasn't his fault and if there was anyone that I needed to be mad at it, it was it was myself but it was hard to see that at the time it was impossible to see that at the time we have a hard time seeing the big picture I think it's I think especially as Americans our culture being a new country being a country that sprung up and grew so fast we don't have patience we don't have the ability most of us to see the long term of things and you know Amazon we want two-day delivery and everything's got to be now 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 no more waiting it's it's everything in industry has been geared around making things more efficient and faster and to wait on something for a long time is just abhorrent to us and goes against our nature definitely God sees the big picture and we don't. That's where the faith needs to come in. And that's definitely something that I have more now as an older person than I did when I was younger. I was like, I'm ready to go, man. I'm ready to go. God and I are partnering up on here. We're going to make this happen. And then when he doesn't show up on your time, you start getting discouraged. Patience. Yeah, patience. Patience is a hard thing. Mr. M.W. Sheds, newest member, welcome, brother, and William New. Shout out to you guys. Thank you very much. Man, I'm going to close off. I'm going to break out. I'm going to pull out all, all the nice. stops here. Must be nice to have a house. How about that? Got the air horn and everything. All right. Thank you, beloved. Sorry for a raggedy, terrible stream. <laughs> Starting off the way we did, it just got me off my game. And I've been on the back foot the whole time, but it's going to be that way. You take the good with the bad, and uh, we learn by doing. So I'll get back to the drawing board and get this software figured out. And we'll, we'll do better next time. We'll do better next time. But thank you, beloved. I sure appreciate it. Please pray for us. Pray for those men that are praying for the community here, for the, for the group, and that are going through the fasting. And uh, that's it. That's it. I sure appreciate it. Thanks to the moderators, to the middlemen. We'll see you guys on the next stream.